Episode 133 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the greatly loved English actress and presenter Thora Hurd, whose brilliant career spanned more than 70 years. Her acting highlights included films such as The Entertainer and A Kind of Loving, and Alan Bennett's acclaimed Talking Heads series on BBC television for whom she also hosted the religious programme Praise Be. Thora enjoyed a very happy marriage to musician James Scotty Scott for 57 years until his death in 1994. Their only child, the beautiful actress Jeanette Scott, starred in films such as School for Scoundrels, The Devil's Disciple and The Day of the Triffids. Jeanette sat with her mother during this interview, which took place at Thora's home in central London in November 2001. Thora was then 90 years old, yet remarkably she was as busy as ever, with a regular role in the BBC TV sitcom Last of the Summer Wine, and with a revised edition of her autobiography Nothing Like a Dame, just published. Thora had been made a dame in 1993. This may have been her last interview, as Thora died in March 2003 at the age of 91. We began by talking about the Lancashire seaside town of Morecambe, where she was born in 1911. How often do you go back to Morecambe these days? Not enough. This last 12 months I've been very busy. What with books and what with works and what with Alan Bennett's, you know, really busy. But I get up north to Huddersfield, right. because there my joy is when I tell them that the best thing to come out of Yorkshire is the road to Lancashire. In Morecambe, they erected a statue to Eric Morecambe a couple of years ago. Would yeah, you like there to be one for you? Well, when they were on about it, there was letters coming, you see, and saying they think a very good idea would be to have me. And I wrote back and thanked them very much and said, I'm not dead yet, you know, because Eric deserved it. Because his name was Eric Bartholomew, really. Mm -hmm. That's right. When we were all kids together. You still got your Morecambe accent to a certain extent. Were you told when you started in the business that it would be a good idea to lose your accent and become more sort of BBC posh? No, no. The thing was that when I started in the business, I was in rep at a pound a week. Now, that meant I never had any words. I was the maid taking the surf off you. But the point was that one week... the cast was bigger than the resident rep company. Now if that happened, such as me, he got a few lines to say and um, I've forgotten the name of it, but the part I played was the mother of the fellow whose wife says she's been at me again, you see, because every time the wife got her own way, I said it's coming on. Oof. Now George Formby was in one night on the Tuesday and saw it and asked to meet me. And George always prefixed everything with a laugh, you know. And when he saw me after the show, he said, <laughs> you were good. He said, we're making a film of this and I want you to play it. Well, I mean, it's Cinderella talk, that isn't it. But there's no doubt I got a letter from Hamilton Gay, the casting director, saying they were desirous of me doing a film test. Well, they were talking foreign tongue. I had no idea what a film test or anything was. And I came to London for the test, knowing a lot for my age about the theatre, but nothing about films. What was he like, George Formby? Oh, it was a love. I didn't work with him, 
because my first mm. film was with Will Hay. Yeah. I didn't know them very, very well. Well, I didn't get the part anyway. Mm. Was uh, he quite a hero of yours, George Formby? Only on gramophone records. His right. father with some of his father. Mm -hmm. Oh, my mother used to say, God help him, because he had a terrible cough, his father. And so the film test was so small. Where will you go, Lydia? I shall go to London. That was the film test. Now, Battle did and was directing the film test. But this was all, I mean, I thought it was very little for to test anything. They made me up. And when we'd done it nine times, oh, the man, by the way, they were paying two pounds to say, where will you go, Lydia, was Bill Fraser. God rest him. Who I starred in television with years later. The thing was, when I'd done it nine times, Basil Dearden, who had not directed his first film till the next one, which was Black Sheep of Whitehall, which I was in, was my first film, came off, knelt on the floor and said, great, splendid, wonderful. Now this time, when he says, where will you go, Lydia? You know, I shall go to London and bugger you. You know the sort of thing I mean? And I said, yes. So on I go, where will you go, Lydia? I said, I shall go to London and bugger you and bugger you a lot because if I haven't done it right by now, I'm not going to. Cut, somebody said. I didn't know what that meant. That was a test. He told me to go to the Russian theatre the following morning. I thought he had to rush there. And I went and the crew that had been on the test were there. And suddenly the black screen came, quite black. And then a tap aboard, which I didn't know what he was calling. He said, Thor heard, take nine. And there's me with the lashes. And the voice said, where will you go, Lydia? I said, I shall go to London and boogie and boogie you, love, no, because if I haven't done it right now, I'm not going to. Cut, somebody said. And I got a contract. They asked me to go to their office after the test. Well, I thought that was just a, you know, go. But it was Michael Bolton who was sir after that, as we know. And he said, Thora Hurd, you haven't got the part you came down to test the mother because I want you to understand that we have plenty of elderly ladies who are very good actresses in England and you're only very young. But we're not letting you go, so we're putting you under contract for £10 a day if you work, £10 a week if you don't. I said, well, I can't take £10 a week if I don't work. Could you imagine anything of it? Why do you think that you got a break when so many other people didn't? Mind you, quite a lot of people did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think it was luck or do you think it was talent or what, what do you put it down to? Well, I don't know. I think it... I never even thought of that. I just thank God for it, you see, because I'm a Wesleyan. Peter, just going back to what you said before about Mother's accent, mm -hmm. really, for the first ten years or so when she was down here, she played mainly Cockney parts. Yeah. And she wasn't playing a northerner at all. So it's only sort of in recent years that she mm. has relaxed mm -hmm. back mm -hmm. into being northern again. I wouldn't have thought to say that, but Ealing would push me in, like, went the day well as a land army girl with Elizabeth Allen as the star, who was awfully like that, mm. and me who was saying, well, I think they'll be coming along here. Because everybody thinks the Lancashire, well, they think northern talk's funny. And even in Black Sheep of Whitehall, all I had was Will Hay coming in as the headmaster and saying, now then, if X equals the men, why the boys? And I just say, why the boys? Because they're in the question, that's why. That was all, that was all I had.
But you see, and they made a lot of films of feeling in those days. They'd push me in as the girl in the shop, a land army girl, ATS girl who gave the game away. The war was a good time for Ealing films because they thought I was doing their bit, you know. Was it ever suggested that you change your name like a lot of No, they all liked did. it. Did they? Well, they thought it sounded rather nice. Did you ever work with Gracie Fields? No, I never met her either. Did you not? What a shame. Yeah. Because she wasn't so much an actress as a performer, you mm. know. Are there many that you didn't work with that you would like to have worked with? Well, it sounds stupid as this, but one was so anxious to be in work at £10 a day mm. that one... Well, I was never important enough to be able to say, oh, I'm working with so-and-so. It would be a charwoman who came on and said, as Jan said, a company charwoman or... Would you like to have been the main star, the sort of the glamorous leading lady, would you have liked Oh, no, no. I say that with God's truth. I looked at my face, I knew my face, mate. I wouldn't be glamorous. And the point is this. I had every intention of getting on. I also could see that it was hard work. By a lot of little things, Tony Fazzini, head makeup man at Denham. Yes, what are you playing? Well, Florrie, yes, all right. No eyelashes, no... And you came up like at school. And Maggie Lockwood used to tear her eyelashes off. And he used to go mad at this in Tony Fazzini. Well, that meant there were a lot of corners. And one morning he said, Oh, now in this film you're going to have corners. I mean, it was like saying at school that you'd pass your exams. Little corners. And bring them back at the end of the day. So I went through all that, thank God, until I was making sometimes, well, making is the wrong word, in, two films at the same time. One at Denham, one at Shepperton, and no car offered any, not that, like that. I have a car and chauffeur. None of that nonsense. Mm. Get yourself on the tube train where the workmen were. Are you glad that you had that kind of yes. tougher... Yes. Baptism into the movies? That's better than tough luck because as soon as they put me under contract and were paying me £10 a week if I didn't work, £10 a day if I did, they pushed me in everything. Because mm. there was always a girl in a shop or a woman shopping or a charwoman or a mother. There was always the one-day part and I would get it. Did you ever have a fullback profession just in case you weren't able to continue for some reason? Well, there was always the theatre, the live theatre. I mean... Mum had done 700 plays or mm, more before yeah. she even came down to mm. do her first film. But I wonder so if there was anything else she ever considered fact. doing at all. Well, she was a very successful cashier at the co-op for many years while ten, she was in Morgan. Ten Red. years, change, please. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to look at the customers, this is true, one woman, Mrs. Idale, another woman, Mrs. Bradley. I'm not kidding you. One, one Mrs. Ratliff, and I used to think, if ever I go in the theatre, I'll play you. Who impressed you most of the people you've worked with over the years? Certainly in the early days, particularly. You know, you mentioned Will Hay. And yes. Of, of the you know, big, big league stars, who, who really impressed well, you? Well, to tell you the truth, they didn't have much to do with you. I don't mean they ignored you, but um, you'd say good morning, or if you'd have seen with them, of course, you'd have a chat. But Robert Donat, 
And when we did Cure for Love, I played Mrs. Doorbell. Now that's worth playing for nothing. You know, Mrs. Doorbell, it's such a good part. And I was so glad to get the part of Mrs. Doorbell, I thought, well, I'll do my best in this. I was always very ready to learn the ways of the people at the top. I used to say, when I get on, I'll be like that. People often say that the stars of today haven't got the same charisma and same thing about them as the olden days. Would you agree with that? Well, I think they all had to work. I mean, for a start-off, I do lots of summer wine now, missing yep. it for my yep. name. Dora Bryan's just come in it. Well, Dora and I sit and say, do you remember such a film when they'd be Emoir, Dora Bryan, Esma Cannon, Kathleen Harrison, about eight of us, and you knew one of us would get it. It was only a day. And you didn't mind. You didn't mind one of us getting it mm. because it was £10. Did you ever fancy any of your leading men? Well, no, I didn't. Really. Not, not sexually. No, I didn't mean like that. But no, just, no. you know, did you ever sort of oh, have well, a bit of a crush on someone? Well, when I got on a bit more, they were all very nice. I remember going to Paris to do Corridor of Mirrors and Eric Portman was in it. Eric was always nice, Robert Donat was always nice. As a matter of fact, eventually, I can put it with honour, I was in so many films, one day, didn't matter if it was an hour, that they were, hello, Thor, how are you, you know, and I was treated as one of them. What about Sir Laurence Olivier? You worked with him, didn't you, in a movie? Marvellous. Was he? Yeah, the entertainer. As a matter of fact, it was on not very long ago, and there was a line... He said to me one day, what would your mother have said to that line? And I said she would have said, I wouldn't trust him with his feet showing under that curtain. He said, it's in, it's in. <laughs> and then it was in the film. Now, people often say he's the greatest actor of all time. Would you agree, in your eyes, was he? I don't know how great means in that. Of course he was good. Of course he was good, but greatest in what? You only saw him in certain things, didn't you? I watched him as Nelson. And a nice fella. As a matter of fact, we were filming in Ireland together. And the phone went in my bedroom one night. He had finished work. And he says, Thora, Larry here. And I said, yes. He said, Joan Seska, can you come over to your dinner? Joan Plow, right? Yes, yeah. And I said, oh, I can't tonight because so-and-so has asked me to. Oh, well, if they're more important than we are. And I said, well, they are, because they asked me first. Mm. I said, anyhow... And he'd asked me for a fag on the set, you know, and I said, yeah, but cheeky devil, they make them with your name on. They did, you remember, Olivier Cigarettes. Yes, good to work with. As oh. a matter of fact, I never played at the National, but after I'd done the first Alan Bennett, the National asked for me to go and do it there, which I didn't do, of course. Yeah. How often do you spend looking back at your old movies from years and years ago, from your early days? I fall about in most of them. But I can remember, if one came on now, I would remember why I did a certain thing. I never was disliked on the floor, and I knew all the crews. And the first day, you see, all the stars had a car and driver to come home, and ten to one they'd say to me, now you're going straight home, right, I'll give you a lift. And when I got the first job, which was Madness of the Heart, which was playing Maggie Lockwood's companion, that my fee had gone up. I was under contract to rank by then. My fee had gone up, so I thought, well, I'll have a car. 
and it was a Bavarian ballroom scene that afternoon. I tell you that because nearly all the extras, I'd say, were over 70, were certainly over 60. And Denham in those days had two gates. Just to clarify that for Peter, it was what they called for the extras a well dressed call. Right. They yes. had to bring their own clothes mm -hmm. and they had to be That's well dressed. Right. So it always meant that they were of a certain age. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the cast said, Do you want to lift home tonight? Or I said, Got a car the first night. And um, the, there were two gates and a bus stop on the pavement that I used to go to at night to get home. It took hours to get home and get there. And uh, Mr. Pounds of the Muse was a private hire car, so he came for me. So I said, Mr. Pounds, could you turn to the right as we went out? He says, I can't, can I? We got a left for London. I said, yes, but just then do a U-turn. He says, right, so we go past. And as we come past the, the bus stop, there's two gentlemen, <coughs> black trailbiz, about 70, because they'd all been of this age that... Day. and two ladies I'd say 60 odd and I just put the, the, the door open to say anybody going Lancaster Gateway I said anybody going they were in I sat on an old fellow's knee all the way home the first night I had a car people often regard those days the 50s and 60s as being more glamorous as more, more exciting time for film and everything is that how you view it as well do you look back on that as a sort of the most golden time for you well, you know, if you were in a film for a day, you thought, oh, I'm, I never thought I'm a film star. When I got to be that I was doing better, I tried to behave accordingly, but I never put it on. And always, even now, today, tomorrow, as the car comes out of any studio, I say, which way are you going? Because, well, I don't know, I'm not any better than anybody else. Because, you see, in the old days, your respect was there. I don't mean there is no respect now, but it's, it's more pals together, you know. I mean, the best story I ever heard, which I couldn't do in public, was on the studio floor. I told him the other day, actually, to a unit. During the war, it was spam this and spam that. And I don't know if you know, are you familiar with the studios? Um, vaguely. Well, you vaguely. probably know that the restaurant is a small building, mm -hmm. like a large hut, and you went in and through another door, if you were a star, to a room this size. Now, they used to bring the menu onto the floor, give one to the high sparks, give one to the chippies, because food was, you know, mm -hmm. scarce. And Miss Green was in charge of the... You have to forgive this story, because it's a bit vulgar, Miss Green was in charge of the catering, you see. Very important. Black sand dress, live corsage here on the dress. And she came on the set and she said, Here are the menus. Thank you. Now, Harry, who was head of lighting, there was always better comics off the screen than on. Mm. He got this. And forgive me, but it's what had happened. He said, yes, and there you are. Now, he said, spam rissoles and chips. That was the first one. So he looks at it and he says, yes, thank you, Miss Green. Thank you very much. Very kind of you to come on the set. Right, now we'll have uh, Harry, Herbert. So they all gather around this thing. Right, we'll have five piss holes and chips. She said, that is an R, an R. Right, five arseholes and chips. 
<laughs> well, we were laughing all morning. Who of the many stars you work with became genuine friends of yours? Did you get close to anybody? Well, you'd go to first nights of films and things, and there was no, oh, don't speak to her, she's a small part. Mm. You know, if you were the cast, you understand. No, it was, it was really very pleasant. Denham, Ealing, when you started going to Shepperton and things, by the time my daughter was a star, every time I pass there, we, we do a little bit at Shepperton for last of summer wine. And I remember the passage, I think, where she started there. Most of the, the stars that you were friendly with usually uh, they came from America or something. Mm. So it's such a transient mm. business that although they remained friends with Mum, I don't think there was that much hanging out with them between mm. films. Mm. You know, there I, wasn't time. <laughs> and I did the West End and became a star in the West End. There's no swank to that. To say treating me as an equal isn't quite right because they have never not treated me as an equal. Do you wish you worked more with Janet? I'm sure the answer is yes to yes, that. Yes, yes. Mm. But we never really had opportunities to. Our careers no. were going in no, different true. directions. We um, did manage to star together in a, a play on television. Yes, we which did. Which was the television version of a play Mother had starred in in the West End. That was called The Queen Came By, and that was a wonderful experience for both of us. Well, Except well, yes. that in the emotional scenes, we both got absolutely... Wet through with crying. Yes, we, we couldn't control it. You've always been held in great fondness by Britain at large. Has that always surprised you, or what do you think it is that why Britain has taken to you so Well, much? I never expected it, let's just put it like that. So that at the beginning... I thought that went with it, never knowing that you didn't see every film I was in or the film that was out at the moment. And if you did, you'd be quick because I'd only a day in it. Why do you think people took to you or have taken to you so much? Well, well because for the simple reason, you would get that in a fan letter. Dear Thora, oh, I said to our Elsa the other night, you're just like her. Mm. You see, a lot of people say that to me. Never say, are you Thora, in the street. I'm never lonely outdoors, because everybody's... Not everybody, but... Mm. But, you see, a woman outside Marks and Spencer's the other morning, I came out, and now she didn't say, are you Thora? They say, is it Thora? Is it Thora? I said, yes, oh, hey, what do you want shouting at that husband of yours or the way you do? That thing and last of summer one. And I said, well, madam, I don't write the script. I don't care who writes it. I mean, nobody talks to her husband like that. Well, not that they put up with it, would they, Eric? Because the husband's there, you see. No, she said, it's ridiculous. You want to tell them. You want to tell them that you don't talk like that to husbands. Well, women don't, do they, Eric? He said, well, you talk to me like, like that. And then on the other side of the street, we heard somebody running. This is when my husband was alive. And it was a little man. And the top of his head came to about Jimmy's chin. And he said, can I kiss her? When he caught us up. And Jimmy said, why not? So he went <laughs> and ran. He could still be running down Oxford Street for anything I know. Have you ever been asked to be in Coronation Street? No. But I was asked to do something to do with Coronation Street. I've never understood why. 
they're always having anniversaries, but this would be two or three years ago. And they asked me, the boss of it all, would I fly to Manchester and go along the street describing it to people, which I did. So the car met me at the airport and I went. It was a dull afternoon. They said, now Elsie Tanner lives here. This is the house where she lives, that sort of thing. And it was quite interesting to do. Never knew why they asked me to do it. Never asked to do anything again. They sent me with this car and chauffeur back to the airport. And it was nearly as though I'd never been, do you know what I mean? Mm. Do you think maybe you were too famous for Coronation Street? Oh, nobody's famous enough. <laughs> you see, that's the shame of it. But I think Peter's right. I think you were far too an established name when Coronation Street started to be in Coronation Street. They were all unknown. The cast was unknown. And they have become famous through being in Coronation Street. But you were already a star by then. Yes, it's just that I admire very much. Not that you were asked, as no, far as no, I know. Never were I asked. Never were I asked. <laughs> EastEnders, everybody's in that. Everybody's pregnant with somebody else. I just watched the other night, waiting for something to come on, and there were five girls pregnant, or four, I don't know. Not quite knowing which of the fellas. You see, I go back to when the BBC <coughs> issued artists with a small green book telling you what you could and what you couldn't. And I always recall that it said, if an artist is asked to get into bed with his wife, one foot must remain on the floor. <laughs> yes, you see, well, how could you get into bed with your wife with one, unless you're the leg a mile long? In, in British films, it always mm. had to be twin beds. Yes. And one foot on the floor. What do you enjoy of today's drama series or comedies? Anything in particular that you think is... Well, at the moment, Monica the Glen. I'd love to be in that. Mm -hmm. I'd love to be the cook in the house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who loved it as much as they did. Not Lady Rhubarb. Oh, and I know you, you love Goodness Gracious Me. Oh, the Indian one, yes. Yeah. And most of the cast of that were absolutely delighted at one of the BAFTA award dinners when oh, Mum yes. went out of her way to mm. go and tell them yeah. how great it was. And that was the first season they were on. Mm. Of course, they're all established now, but they were absolutely thrilled at the time. Have you ever turned down a part which became a huge success for somebody else? Oh, I think we've all done that. I can't just quickly off the tongue say. I've seen parts on this, I thought, I wish I was playing that. Mm -hmm. But of course, that, that's the business, isn't it? I've seen parts that I thought, I wouldn't have done that with that. But she's very good, mm. you see. Kathleen Harrison has just died this last year, 102. Well, there's no doubt if there was a, a cottony mother, there was no thought who it should go to. She got it all You know, they were doing a film with Jack Warner, Kathleen Harrison, Amoir, and somebody else. Anyway, the director rang me up one night and he said, Thora, we're making a a film of this play that was on, and I said, oh, are you? And I said, we wondered, how would you like to play Jack Warner's wife? And I said, oh, well, that, that would be very nice. And he said, well, Kate's in it. I said, oh, what's the wonder? She isn't playing his wife. Just, she says it isn't funny enough, so she's playing the woman next door. Right. Four nights later, the phone goes again. It's the director. Thor, George. I said, oh, yes. 
I don't know if his name was George, I've forgotten who it was. And he said, Kathleen thinks that the wife is funnier than the next door woman. So, see, this is how unimportant I was, which I never used to forget. So she would rather play that, how do you feel about that? And I said, well, how do you feel? You're directing it. He said, well, to keep peace, if you know what I mean. I said, all right, I'll do the wife. That a fortnight went past. Thor, you're never going to believe this. I said, don't carry on, I wasn't going to believe it. <laughs> well, she said, if you're playing the wife, you'll be too funny. So I said, all right, then is it the same money? He said, yes. I said, well, I'll play the other woman. <laughs> well, I saw that this woman could put words in that were long, but weren't right to the... And I said to Jack Warner, I feel she might say there, oh, well, surreptitiously, you know, one of these women. And he said, I go and do that. Well, she couldn't turn back again after three times. And she said to the maker one morning to me, she said, I had that part at the beginning, you know, that you just had. And I said, yes, and I'll tell you something, Kate, you'd have been very good. And I said, well, I said, because you're better than us all. And that's why you get the part. And, you know, six months ago, I don't know where I was working, at some studio, was a very smart man walked up to me, a, a chauffeur. Oh, I said, how lovely, give her my love, you know. Because really, she got the best, the Higgins and everybody, she got the best part. Never any thought. Well, of course there was thought, but, oh, Kathleen, that. He said, well, I will remember you too, but she won't know you. And I said, well, she knew us all once, you know. <laughs> and there wasn't even a mention on television of it. When she really was the comic cockney. Mm. And as McCannon, she was in nearly everything, a little love for McCannon. Actresses often complain that there aren't enough roles over a certain age, but you have stayed consistently working hard all your life. Why do you think that is? Well, if there's been one that asked me to play, really, that's why I did. And, of course, it's, may I say, it's a little simpler when such as Alan Bennett are writing for you. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever felt guilty because you've got lots of work throughout, whereas a lot of actresses sort of don't get enough work after a certain age? No, because I, I worked at one day's, good God, I was years one day parts. Mm. In fact, they had an overall and a headband in the wardrobe at Denham. All was hanging up there, they thought it'll be in this, <laughs> same overall. When you did Last of the Summer Wine, had you, is there something you'd wanted to be in for quite a long time well, I can tell you quickly about that. Yeah. I'd been doing In Love and Memory yeah. for two years. Yeah. Last of Summer Wine, I had a wife that nobody had seen, and a girl that's known, a mother and daughter. And they ran up Felix the Wolf, who I've been with 50 years. And they, asked, they said, well, she's doing her own programme. And said, yes, well, we'll do it on a Sunday if she'll do it. So it was agreed upon, and I didn't argue. I just thought, well, it's just one off. Yeah, they were doing a special, weren't mm. they, darling? Yes. I enjoyed it, and everybody was very nice to me. Well, everybody was very nice to everybody. And... Um, it was the last of an eight. So when the next eight came out, they'd written me into four of them, and I said to Felix, well, they can't... Mm. He said, well, you've only another four weeks of in love and memory. I said, that isn't the point. I said, I can't do another four of these. 
And they said, well, I'll see what I said. No, well, they said, we'll do them in the middle of the night if she'll do them. Oh. Pardon me, swanking. But oh, that's wonderful, though, isn't it? Yeah. You know, there's a double. And she chops on and off right. a few yards away. Right. As mother's finding it difficult to walk these sure. days. That's Amy. Mm -hmm. They have a stunned woman. They have a driver whose shoulders are the width of mine, so in the car, if they shoot to the back of him, the shoulders and the headscarf look the same. Mm. If it's some kind of driving. Little man in my mother's little, little man. And I didn't say anything because I'm very busy looking after my own job. But I did say one day, you know, this must be an awful expense with so little to do. Amy comes by a standing, comes and thanks me every day in the evening on her way home. She goes in the car and she says, thank you for another happy day. I bet you never thought you'd have a stunt woman at the age of 90. I never thought I'd have a stunt woman anyway. <laughs> because don't forget that you had a standing in films. I was once in three films at the same time. And my little standing used to say, which wig do we wear today, you know? <laughs> well, I'd say, well, we aren't here tomorrow, we're at so-and-so. Still on uh, ten pounds a day. And there were quite a lot of me's about, mm. about a me's. You know, you, you knew certain women would always double for so-and-so. In fact, if you were, they were chatting about the next film that's being done, you could be three of you, know for nearly certain you would be in it, because you were doubling for so-and-so. Have you got more work lined up? Well, how do I put this? I've tried to say it without any conceit. Once an Alan Bennett is out, oh, they come in. Mm. Now... In the last one I did, she's an old woman in a, an old folks' home, and the first line in that play was, I saw that fellow's what Jimmy call it this morning. No, well, no, that nurse said, look, Violet, you must use the proper words. Was the penis erect? I thought, I'm not saying that, not for ten hours. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, but she wouldn't know what the word penis meant. She wouldn't know what erect meant. Mm. So she can say it. If the audience will be with me mm. when I don't know why I'm saying something, why I know why I'm saying it but saying the wrong word. And in that show, and I won't bore you anymore with it, when she's talking, they're not there, the people. Is it? Did you see Waiting for the Telegram? I didn't, I'm afraid, no. Well, she had a boyfriend in the 1418. Right. And she's sitting talking to... A nurse, a man. Well, he's not there, but she's telling him all this. She said, my mother put a fire in the front room and then she put some flowers in the vase. And enemies they were. She knew I liked those. But he come because they were going to Germany, you see, the next day. And they stood in front of that fire and he took all his clothes off. And he looked at me and he said, come on, come on, Violet, it's your turn now. And... Uh, we started to try and undo these buttons, but it was a new dress. And, that, well, you know with a new dress, a man won't know this, often the buttons aren't in buttonholes, mm -hmm. you know. She said, well, he picked his clothes up and he walked into the next room. Well, I tried with these buttons. I said, well, well I can't get them undone. And then the front door went. I shouldn't have let him, shouldn't have. Michael Parkinson, you should have seen him. I was crying. Future work, the fact is that an awful lot of scripts that come in 
have language that mother doesn't feel yeah. she can yeah. easily... Well, two days after that one was out, one script arrived, first page, four-letter words. But, no, it's... I don't say that the theatre would be for me. Well, if it was the right part, it might. Do you uh, think you've been given the, the credit that you deserve as an actress? Do you think you've been given the, the true credit? Well, it's only a job like being in a grocer's shop, isn't it, really? But you give pleasure. Well, I'm a dame of the British Empire. Mm-hmm. I've got the OBE. That's when no swank I'm telling you this, I'm no, just saying. I know, yeah. I have more letters after my name than can now go on a piece of notepaper. When you were you were made a dame, did the, the Queen yes. did she tell you anything special that she was a fan of yours or something? Well the nicer thing was when I got the OBE, she pinned it on me and that was that. When I got the dame of the British Empire, I couldn't quite tell what she said, but I'd like to think I did hear. There are two jewels, one here and one here, and as she pinned this one, she looked up and she said, this is giving me so much pleasure. But I don't think it could have been that. I think I thought it was that. I think you're being modest, I'm sure. No, I'm not being modest. And there, in the ballroom, was my granddaughter, my grandson, and you. Yes. And Daisy, being an American, gave her the most wonderful smile, the Queen, because she went out. And the Queen gave her the most wonderful smile back, didn't she? Mm, that was someday for us, wasn't it? Is there a favourite no. of all the awards you've received? No, there should be one called Gratitude, and then I could get that. Do you have a lot of memorabilia or souvenirs of your career? No, I think the only thing I have is a Mac the janitor at school that I wore for... Walter Greenwood wrote me a play called Saturday Night at the Crown. And I wore your blue Mac, do you remember? Which I've still I got, which I've still got downstairs. Peter, Sometimes. when you're 90 years old, you keep everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the question of knowing where anything is. <laughs> Have you got a lot of your films on video? And no. no. That's a shame, isn't it? I have. I make sure that for my mother's grandchildren, for Daisy mm. and James, and for myself, we have a pretty complete family archive, but Mother is not interested in watching herself. I'm interested in what's going on ahead. I'm sure everywhere you go you're very recognised. What do most people remember you best for, do you find? Well, I can tell you what most people do. I was in CNA, waiting at the lift to go one floor. The night before I'd done waiting for the telegram. Right. And a lady standing there with her husband. And the woman just stood there and she said, hello. And I said, hello. And there was quite a pause. And then she said, I thought you were wonderful last night. Do you know somebody like that, that you played it like that? Well, I said, I know a lot of ladies like that who've lost. And she said to her husband, wasn't she good? So if he said, no, I don't think she was, I don't know where it would have been. (laughs) But the lift came. And she wiped her eyes and her nose. And we went on to the top floor, but where there were coffees. And when we get up there, everybody's going for autographs. It was only the night after this. I think the the Alan Bennett plays Mm. had more. That, and curiously enough, Mum used to get over 6,000 letters a week when she did songs of praise and praise. Oh, yes. Oh, 
Which which of your work would you most like people to remember you for? Which are you most proud of? Well, it sounds a bit conceited to say, well, most of it. No, for the Bennetts, I have to say that I've had some wonderful remarks passed to me. But then I passed some wonderful remarks to him. Because there is a writer who very quietly will walk past you and say, that is an if, not a but. And you know that if you've said if and it should have been but, you might as well damn well know that but is better. Which of your films are you most proud of? Oh, well, um, you see, I have to think, so I don't really know. I've never done anything big enough in films. I think a kind of loving you made a huge... Oh, kind of loving. They were stopping me falling over each other. Would you like to have been a Hollywood star? Well, my daughter living in America for 15 years can tell you that we were going to one house one night for drinks because people were very good to us because she was very popular over there. And it was the director or writer of Bonanza. Bonanza. It was Lorne Green's house. Yeah. Yeah. And he was talking and kept knocking another gin back. Point was, he says, I can see you in the nose. Well, dear God, I can't think of anything less likely than the Lancashire. And I said, but I, I come from Lancashire. Oh, no reason why his mother shouldn't come from Lancashire. Because <laughs> she'd never seen the mother, had you, that time. <laughs> and we had quite a happy argument on him and his gins. Why I should be in it or why I shouldn't be in it. And you said to me, I expected that. Well, they gave a lot of dinner parties, you know. Are you glad uh, you started your career when you did? Would you like to have perhaps started these days in show business? Well, I think rap was probably a bit different in those days, but as I was only ever in one lot of rap, I can't say. Also, there are not many parts that you can't colour to a shape that you might look at and say, oh, come in, how's your mother? Mm. How's your father? He's been poorly, hasn't he? That you can do it either one way or another, you know. It seems like Alan Bennett and Victoria Wood were perfect. Oh, well, Vic you. Wood, Vic Wood. They've just come along at the right time. Derek, Derek Longdon. Mm-hmm. Derek Longdon did wrote, Lost for Words. You see, he did Wide Eyed and Legless. And, and, um, that was his own mother. He was, was his own mother. And every time I'd done a shot, he came over and knelt here and he said, I can't bloody believe it. I thought I was watching my mother. So to be brief about this, he came up to me one day in Huddersfield, in the hotel. Well, they said a gentleman's waiting for you, and I saw it. And he said, I only live five minutes from here. So I bought him a drink, and I was just going to have dinner, and I said, well, either my dinner's spoiled or you'll have your dinner with me. So I came to dinner. And very simply, he said to me, I want to write a play about my mother, but I want you to play it. And I said, oh, Derek, nobody can say a thing like that. You can say that, but I can't say I'll play it. Well, he said, every time I saw you, he said, you turned into her. And I said, well... That was for a part. It wasn't for an entire play. Anyhow, it was a good eight months after I was up there again when he came. He said, will you read that when you have time? So I said I would. And I have a caravan on the set. And I was reading it and crying. And uh, Cathy South came in my caravan. She said, I've just come in because I've... 
Now then, what's up? Who's upset you? And I said, oh, it's nothing, it's this play. And so she said, well, you don't want to read any more of it if it's like that. I said, oh, yes, I do. So I read it and and I could see if if anybody was like his mother. But for one line alone, when he says, Mother, do you want cremating or burying? And she says, well, surprise me. You know, and she was like this, mm-hmm. this woman. Mm-hmm. I think I'm right in saying that your career started virtually the same time that you met your husband, isn't that right? About, yes. About. Do you see sort of significance in that? That you know, two, the two well, great think, things in your life started at the yes, same time? Yes, because he wished everything good for me. Mm. What profession was he in? Music. Drummer. Right. Well, so the thing was, uh, the Winter Gardens at Morecambe was all done up and dusted. Mm. Now, then a 16-piece orchestra arrived. People went in half an hour early to listen to the orchestra. I'll write a book about this someday. I had a girlfriend... My God, she was beautiful. She was beautiful. And so if we got off with a couple of fellas, she, oh, the dogs went for her, of course. I was never a beautiful woman. And the band in the variety used to finish before the band in the ballroom. Do you know Morecambe at all? I don't, I never No, well, the Winter Gardens is like the Opera House at Blackpool, mm-hmm. a great big ballroom and a big <coughs> theatre. In fact, the aerial span of the theatre is the same as Drury Lane. And it was just that there was this shilling dance on a Tuesday night and they were standing here, the double bay player, Bill and Jimmy, and they passed some remark that wasn't getting off with you. But anyhow, we got chatting and they said, could we walk you home if you're going? And we said, no, well, we have a conveyance. Because Edwin Sibyl had a hostage seven, you could get nine in. Do you remember there was a competition once, how many folks you could get in a telephone? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we said, no, so good night. Went out of that exit, they went out of that one, as the <coughs> car with the Tolo Bullock and all those passengers. Us are going to have a lift home, or left, and they said, good night, ever been stood up, have you? You know. And as I lived on the way home, we all four just walked and chatting. I could see it wasn't after Peg, because Peg was one of the dearest, God rest you, women in the world. But not a lot of personality, you know. Beautiful to sit and look at. Did you work with your husband much? Never. He was in the, in the pit orchestra when you were in... Desert Song, wasn't he? Oh, Maid of the Mountains. Maid of the Mountains. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, if you mean that way, the work, yes. How much of a support was he to your career? Well, a critical one, which did me good. Because he told you it straight rather than... Oh, yeah, oh, yes, oh, yes. Now, he would say before rehearsals, come on, we'll do half an hour of the words. And he would sit with the script and I would sit here. And um, that was one thing, I always knew my words. I was thinking something... Did mother choose what scripts to accept and so forth? Yes. They were such a team, and mother's career has always been the family business. Mm. These days, showbiz marriages don't tend to last very long. What was the secret of your extraordinary Oh, I success? think we would have been married 100 years because we never had a shouting row all our time together. If it's the right one, it, my God, it's the right one, it's wonderful. 
what explains this man the best is when Jan got a contract at Associated British, I got a contract with Rank, who had bought my contract from Ealing. He suddenly said, coming back from the war, in this very room, he said, I can never make the money you two are going to make. I should be at home seeing to her education and to seeing you're keeping well. And we decided it as quick as that, that he would be the one that got the salary. What are they called now? House husbands or something like that. Never was there one word of argument, never was there any, just hold on a minute, I've earned that, nothing of that. Do you think it was difficult for him that you were so famous, though, and he was like Mr Thora Heard? Well, I don't think it was difficult, because when we've been married a year, he comes in with this bunch of flowers, and I said, oh, how lowly. And he said, I wish I could have given you something you could have kept. I said, you can. He said, how do you mean? I said, a baby, tonight. And he did. And when I went to the doctors, and she said, what have you come in for? Because her father had brought me. I said, well, I'm pregnant. And she jumped up and put her arms around me, because we knew her very well. She said, oh, won't your mother and dad be pleased? I said, yes, I think they will. Now, I'm just undoing a green skirt to get on this table thing. And she said, how far are you gone? I said, three days. She said, put your bloody skirt back on and quit down three days. I said, yes, but this is a man who knows what he's doing. We're not talking about an ignoramus. Would you like to have had more children? I think I would have liked a boy for the simple reason that I had a brother, Neville. My mother was married four years before she had Olga, my sister. Then in another two years, she had Neville, my brother. And then in another two, she had me in nearly a fit because she thought she was going to have him every two years. And I would have liked a boy because of the pleasure that my brother, the joy, the love, everything. I was Pearl White on the railroad track and he was the one serving <laughs> Miller. No, our Nev. And I think it would have been nice for Jan. Mm. But we're the good and there. Did you want Janet to go into show business? Were you a bit wary about that? Never wary, but the point was that it was difficult to think she'd go into anything else because she wrote her first play when she was about six, called Is John In. Just to go back to your husband, to what extent did your world revolve around him? Mine fully. Everybody loved him. Why? What was so special about him? Well, to ask the woman who loved him what was so special, that's difficult. I had a very good husband. No reason in any way to argue about that. We doted on Jan. You say in the book that you feel he's still around. Oh, I do. And... Honest to God. I can, supposing I had a business worry. Oh, should I do this play or should I do that? Well, always I would say to him, have a read through of that and see what it Well, if it's a, a question I want answering that I don't want to bother God with, I can walk into my bedroom, I can sit on my bed for two minutes. I don't mean I hear him or, anything, or see him, anything like that. But I can sort of see us having a conversation. And him saying, well, read it again. And if you're not sure the next time, don't do it. And very rarely, in the years we were married, did he say, by God, you were good. You, you, you spent so much of your life with your husband, going to things together, doing oh, yes, things together. Oh, yes, yes. How difficult is it doing things on your own 
after you're so used to being with the one person who's so supportive? Well, one is very, very blessed if you have a daughter as good as mine. It's embarrassing for her sitting here at the moment. But she is an extremely good daughter. I'm not an angel by any manner of means. But I try to do for others like he did for me. Well, that's silly. And I know it is, and I tell myself it's silly. What are your hopes and aims for, for the rest of your life? At 90. What, what do you want to achieve? At 90. Well, I hope I'm always capable of... I wouldn't like to be somebody sitting, you know... I'm very interested in various charities, but that's neither here nor there. I'm interested in being alive and flowers. Keep breathing. Keep <laughs> breathing. Are you determined to get that telegram from the Queen? Do you know, I was thinking yesterday, and I probably will do it. I would love to send a beautiful card to Margaret, from one of the thousands who wish you well, because I think that is a pathetic case. And you never read of any happiness she's had, do you? No. You are very satisfied with your life from all accounts. I've read you saying you wouldn't change a thing if you no, were I wouldn't. There. I wouldn't. There's not many people that can say that, are there? Well, I've got a certain amount of friends. I turn a lot of work down. And I think, no, I wouldn't be very good in that. And it would be a shame to spoil anything I've done. What's most remarkable about you and your career is the fact that you've had the very pinnacle of your success during the last decade. <laughs> Most people retire at 60 or 65, and that's the end of their career. The very height of your career has been between 80 and 90 years old, which is quite remarkable, <laughs> Mum. How long did you think your career would last? How long did, did I think, past tense, or do I think? Well, when, say when you were in your 30s and 40s, I mean, most people think, well, maybe I'll get to 60 and I'll have to stop working or something. Well, in my 30s and 40s, I thought I shall try. I shall try that it says Thora Heard in. And the first time it said Thora Heard in, a London theatre was... I took a taxi to the theatre for the first night and there I saw Thora Heard in the Queen came by. And I said to them, it says, we're here, it says the taxi man. And I said, would you mind going round once more? We're early enough. And he went round to the circuit, have a look for her. <laughs> that wasn't conceit, that was gratitude. Do you think you'd still be working in your 80s and 90s? I hoped I would. I hoped I would. And I hope now that I shall continue my life as it is. You know, there's no good saying, well, I'm 90, you know. You know what? If God has left you here to well and fit... I mean, all right, I'm not, I don't walk very well, but that doesn't make me that I can't play. I mean, I'm in the next ten of Last of the Summer Wine. Mm -hmm. This is above Mother's Bed. I think oh. that describes everything. It says, <laughs> you don't stop doing things because you grow old. You grow no, old because, because you, you stop, stop doing, doing things. things. Yes. And that's Mother's mantra. Yes, it mother. is. And another one is as you go out. I grumbled when I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. And that's something I try not to grumble anymore. I've grumbled like anybody else has, you know. But I've had a very happy, loving life. Really, really. And how a good, good daughter. How does it feel to be a national treasure? I know Parkinson calls me that, doesn't he? Lots of people call and me that. And the Daily Mail. <laughs> <laughs> and the Sunday Times. <laughs> well, it's nicer than the same. 
Oh, I thought of the old cow. <laughs> well, of course, it's very nice. And it means to me, behave myself and live as I have lived. I don't think anybody could really turn around and say, well, that old cow, I've worked with her. That hasn't happened. Doesn't mean it won't as I grow older. How would you like to be remembered after you're gone? Lovingly, please.